Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Casket, a bi-weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and businesses that have a lot to hide. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about Michael Ferris, the CEO of the ADF, or Alliance Defending Freedom. You might know him as the lawyer that defended a baker for not wanting to make a custom wedding cake for a gay couple, as that's what he is apparently most well-known for. But truthfully, though this wedding cake shenanigans may be what he's most well-known for, that's not why I wanna talk about him, and that's not the focus of today's episode. The reason why I want to talk about Michael Ferris at all is because his behaviors with the ADF have proven to be less about making sure everyone has their rights and more about trying to strip the LGBTQ community of theirs. We're absolutely going to get into that and the ADF's concerning statements. But again, another disclaimer here, just as per every episode, I'm going to try and remain as unbiased as possible, try to focus on the facts here and then form an opinion based off what we've found. Again, I don't want anyone seeing this as me just presenting both sides and then not really saying anything. But with that out of the way, let's start talking about the history of both Michael Ferris and then the ADF itself. Let's get into it. There are people that want to severely curtail the freedom that we've won. You know, there's a few states where some improvement of freedom is necessary. In every state, you gotta make sure that the freedom is implemented correctly the way that the freedom's been won, because there'll be people who always try to, to do all that. Michael Ferris was born August 27th, 1951 in Spokane, Washington. He graduated from Western Washington State College Magnum Cum Laude with a bachelor's degree in political science, followed by a Juris Doctor from Gonzaga University with honors. He also earned an LLM in public international law with honors from the University of London. He founded HSLDA in 1983, or the Home Legal Defense Association, and he served as the chairman and general counsel. In short, this was really to advocate for homeschooling. Honestly, I've got no issue with Michael Ferris wanting homeschooling to be an option. Back in those days, homeschooling wasn't really an option. Like literally, it was illegal in many states. I've actually talked a lot about schooling alternatives in my episodes about our education system. And if homeschooling is viable and a preferable option, then you do you. However, what bothers me about Michael Ferris here and what will be a pattern of what continues to bother me as we'll see later on, is how he has to insert God into the mix in almost every single thing and explain that his work, yes, even homeschooling, is a movement of God. According to one writer, David, on Home Life Academy, in 1990, I tagged along with my mom to a little bitty workshop in a church in Memphis where this guy, Michael Ferris, was to speak. I was 20, he was younger, and he was on fire about this homeschooling movement from God, the HSLDA, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, which he founded along with Michael Smith, was only a few years old, and there was still a great deal of work to do to secure homeschool freedom for parents. David on Home Life Academy also advocates for homeschooling being a movement of God, which I've got to say, it's just kind of off-putting to me. Not so much from David, but if Michael Ferris, who has appeared before the Supreme Court, treats his beliefs as the godly way to do things, then I'm sure many of you can see the problem with this particular attitude. But let's keep moving right along. I don't wanna get too ahead of myself here. 
Just a decade later, Michael Ferris also founded Patrick Henry College in the year 2000. This school has, among the alumni, been known as God's Harvard. According to one source, the founder of Patrick Henry College, Michael Ferris, came to prominence in the early 80s as the head of the Washington State branch of Jerry Falwell's moral majority. In those days, homeschooling was illegal in most states. Underlying homeschooling culture is the Christian patriarchy movement, which teaches that men and women have separate complementarian roles. A woman's highest calling is a mother and submissive helpmate to her husband, who in turn functions as God's representative on earth. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, reads Ephesians 5.22. An oft-cited biblical passage in the movement that is invoked by the PHC student handbook. The most conservative patriarchy devotees like Ferris, a father of 10, call themselves quiverful and believing in having as many children as God gives them. Ferris has said a main drive behind the founding of PHC was the demand from homeschooling parents for a college that promoted courtship culture, in which male students ask female students' father for permission to court with marriage in mind. About 85% of PHC students have been homeschooled and all students pledge to reserve sexual activity for marriage, shun sexually explicit material, and seek parental counsel when pursuing a romantic interest, according to the PHC student handbook. For many homeschoolers, PHC offers the first opportunity to have classmates of the opposite sex who aren't siblings. If a boy and a girl start becoming friends before long, they'll sit down and have a DTR, define the relationship, to see if they have feelings for one another and should start involving their parents. And just, (laughs) what am I reading? This is what Michael Ferris founded. And I just, Since when is it a college's job to arrange romantic relationships? Why is PHC acting like they're a matchmaker? And of course, and naturally, of course, this is only the tip of the iceberg and it's going to get a lot stranger. At Patrick Henry, one alumna remembers a chapel lecture that compared a woman who have had sexual contact before marriage to used cars. You want to be a Porsche was the message, she says, adding in an email, they basically at no point accounted for sexual assault, rape, etc. cases where girls' purity was taken from them and left many girls who'd been victims in the past feeling ashamed. According to a current PHC junior, the school puts the burden on female students to ward off the male gaze, be it from students or professors. She remembers being called in to talk to the residential director who told her that a male professor had informed the Office of Student Life that her shirts were too revealing when she bent over. In 2012, Representative Todd Aiken running for Senate in Missouri sparked a national outrage by speaking of what he called legitimate rape, a category he implied that did not actually apply to many rape cases. Patrick Henry College has sponsored similar ideas on sexual assault. Last September, the school chose Dr. Stephen Baskerville, a professor of government, to deliver a speech that the entire student body was required to attend. He argued that feminism and liberalism have transformed the government into a matriarchal leviathan. The result, he said, according to a copy of the speech, was a society plagued by politically motivated witch hunts against men, while the seductress who lures men into a honey trap was really to blame. Recreational sex in the evening turns into accusations of rape in the morning, even when it was entirely consensual, Baskerville explained. This is especially rampant on college campuses. In a statement, PHC said Baskerville's speech was an exercise in academic freedom and not endorsed by the administration. 
When you have a culture of license where you can't tell the difference between what's full rape or fake rape and what's real rape, PhD journalism professor Les Sillers added during a post-speech Q&A, it makes dealing with real rape really, really hard. And I'm not gonna lie, I had to take a break right about here and just scream for a moment. But now that I've let that all out, we can continue. We're not even 10 minutes in and I truly did need to just, just sigh, facepalm, look away, just take a break and then come back to this because this is so incredibly ridiculous. First of all, this attitude is extremely difficult for women that are sexually assaulted to want to report anything. They're preemptively silencing people by saying something like this. According to this source, one woman, Claire, dropped out of the college after she was sexually assaulted, whereas the man that did it, John, was suspended for one semester. And she's not the only one either. Other female students who say they reported sexual assault or harassment to the administration also left feeling that school officials blamed them instead of holding the accused male students accountable. The administration, they say, seemed much more concerned with protecting Patrick Henry's pristine public image. Basically, my issue was swept under the rug and the assaulter received little else but a reprimand, says a young woman who attended Patrick Henry between 2004 and 2008. The student fell asleep on an off-campus party where there had been drinking and was awoken by a male PhD student assaulting her. She says she reported the incident to Patrick Henry. The administration encouraged me to not go to the police and said that because alcohol was involved and I was violating the rules there, they hinted that I could be expelled if I brought light to the incident, the student says. The focus was the alcohol. I drank, I sinned, I deserve to be assaulted in the middle of the night. So by PHC's logic, drinking is a sin, but sexual assault is not. Drinking doesn't give anyone license to sexually assault another person. And that's something I definitely did not think I would still have to say, but here we are anyway. PHC is far from the only school to sweep issues like these under the rug. Plenty of colleges have issues with this, yes, but with PHC, it's a little bit worse than that. From the way they treat women to how they blame the victim, it's just very, very fucked up. It's one thing for a college to make a gross judgment call, and that's an unfortunate reality we live in, but this is a pattern of victim blaming for PHC. I mean, let's just remember, they did actively compare a woman to a used car if she didn't save herself for marriage. This isn't just the issue of a college not having a proper Title IX policy before the Me Too movement sparked some serious change. PHC is rotten down to its roots in this regard, down to its very foundation. And that foundation begins with Michael Ferris. And yes, I know it seems like I may have forgotten about today's topic, but it's still about Michael Ferris and the ADF. But hey, now we certainly have a picture on what Michael Ferris stands for hearing something like this. If I founded a college for some reason and this happened there, I would be devastated, horrified, and I would immediately make appropriate steps to try and prevent it from happening again. Or if I find the whole thing is totally corrupt and rotted, I would shut the whole thing down. But PHC claims that it doesn't accept or participate in federal funding so they can safeguard their Christian beliefs. And it sure seems to me, as well as the Atlantic, that they're doing this so they don't have to follow federal guidelines. You know, like quirky things like discrimination, reporting of crimes and investigations into sexual misconduct. And before anyone asks, yes, Michael Ferris still works at the college as a chancellor. He's always been there in some capacity. So it's not as if there's nothing he couldn't do about this. Okay, so I need to move on before I explode. Back to Michael Ferris's history. 
After founding this shit show of a college and after failing to become the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, and yes, that's a little fun fact in his history as well, he represented the plaintiffs in Clemens John T. versus Department of Commerce. This case was unsuccessful and in essence was just about the size of the House of Representatives. According to the argument section of this case, the three judge district court correctly determined that appellate's legal claims are without merit and that appellees are entitled to judgment as matter of law. Unlike the Senate, in which all states are represented equally, the House of Representatives was intended to provide for representation that was proportional to population. But that principle was never expected to require the sort of mathematical exactitude or general levels of equality that appellates claim are constitutionally compelled. It has always been understood that Congress has wide discretion to determine the size of the House of Representatives. Taking into account the interest in having sufficient numbers to guard against corruption and provide for representation of local concerns and the competing interest in enabling the House to perform its legislative functions in an orderly manner. The current size of the House of Representatives at 435 members reflects a reasonable accommodation of those interests. That number, together with the method of equal proportions for appropriating those representatives among the several states that this court sustained in the United States is consistent with the constitutional language and the constitutional goal of equal representation. I think you get the picture. It didn't work out. However, ADF still partnered with Michael and he became their new president and CEO as of 2017. For those of you that don't know, ADF stands for Alliance Defending Freedom. And right after becoming the CEO of ADF, of course, Michael became involved in that infamous wedding cake lawsuit. However, before we get there, let's talk about who ADF is in the first place and what they stand for. And it's time to take a quick break to thank today's sponsor, HelloFresh. Now, a lot of you guys already know who HelloFresh is, but we're going over it again in case you're new. HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that delivers delicious, easy to cook meals right to your door every single week. They have recipes available in 30 minutes or less. They offer 25 or more recipes every single week, and they use fresh ingredients sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week. And HelloFresh is 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store and 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal without sacrificing the quality. And they have everything noted, whether it's gonna be spicy, vegetarian, pescatarian friendly, whatever it is, you name it. And when you're going to check out after you pick your week's worth of meals, you can pick like little add-ons and there's a thing for like a garlic bread loaf or whatever, make sure to snag that bad boy too. I promise you it is absolutely worth it, especially if you're like a garlic bread maniac like I am. So if you wanna get started with HelloFresh today and try all the delicious meals, including the garlic bread, make sure to go to hellofresh.com casket12 and use code casket12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, make sure to go to hellofresh.com casket12 and use code casket12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Their website reads, in 1993, 35 Christian leaders came together to build a ministry that would defend your religious freedom before it was too late. These founders knew it would take an alliance to keep the doors open for the gospel in the United States. Like the body of Christ, the alliance is one body made up of many parts. Attorneys play different roles than pastors. Business leaders play different roles than legislators. Each person must play his or her particular role under one shared vision to ensure that religious freedom thrives. For more than 25 years, ADF has been advocating for religious liberty, the sanctity of human life, freedom of speech, and marriage and family. Even though I'm not religious, I'm still all for religious freedom. 
Whether you believe in Jesus or God, Allah or whoever, it's really not my business. As long as you're not hurting anyone, I don't really care. Defending religious freedom is great, as long as it doesn't strip away the freedoms of others. And the thing is, if you look at the ADF's timeline, things seem innocent enough. They have cases like this listed with little blurbs underneath. Town of Greece versus Galloway, the US Supreme Court rules that Americans are free to pray according to their own beliefs at public meetings. SBA list v. Dryhouse. The US Supreme Court upholds the freedom of Americans to speak in accordance with their views by allowing them to challenge laws that silence them. Lane v. Franks. The US Supreme Court rules unanimously that the First Amendment protects the speech of public employees outside the workplace on matters of public concern. McCullen versus Coakley. The US Supreme Court unanimously strikes down a Massachusetts law that creates a 35 foot buffer zone restricting pro-life advocates from speaking with people entering abortion facilities. Personally, that last one probably should have been upheld because the pro-life people that stand outside abortion facilities are notorious for just harassing people in general. But other than that, and generally speaking, those few cases kind of don't seem pretty crazy. It seems like they're upholding basic freedoms. Again, no real problems here except that last one. However, this isn't where ADF's goals end. Some of you might recognize this source and this quote from my Hobby Lobby episode. The SPLC states, founded by some 30 leaders of the Christian right, the Alliance Defending Freedom is a legal advocacy and training group that has supported the recriminalization of sexual acts between consenting LGBTQ adults in the US and criminalization abroad has defended state-sanctioned sterilization of trans people abroad, has contended that LGBTQ people are more likely to engage in pedophilia and claims that a homosexual agenda will destroy Christianity and society. The thing is, I try not to assume the worst in anybody, even a company, nonprofit, or an individual that I'm speaking out against can have some redeeming moments. So I knew that for this episode, I had to dig a little deeper and you know, the internet is forever after all. If the ADF truly did say this, then I wanted to find proof of it. The ADF on their site says, Alliance Defending Freedom is among the nation's most respected and successful Supreme Court advocates working to preserve the fundamental freedoms of speech and religion for all Americans. By God's grace and with the support of our allies, ADF has achieved 11 victories at the US Supreme Court since 2011 and has played roles in 60 Supreme Court victories over the last quarter century. ADF has also secured over 400 victories protecting the free speech rights of students on college campuses. Despite this, or perhaps because of it, some opponents distribute false information in the form of smear attacks against ADF. The Southern Poverty Law Center is a primary source of those smear attacks. Once a respected civil rights organization, the SPLC is corrupt, embraces a blatant partisan agenda, and is discredited fundraising scheme smears organizations that hold views in which its donors disagree. We have biblically based views on marriage, human sexuality, and sanctity of life. And while we will always defend the rights of others to disagree, we also believe that the public deserves accurate information, including ADF's responses to these smear attacks. That's their statement in full. Beneath this, they say they do not support forced sterilization of transgender people, that they are not anti-LGBTQ+, they do not support recriminalization of homosexuality or conversion therapy, or link same-sex attraction to pedophilia. However, while ADF may say this, their actions say something a little bit different. 
As recent as September 12th, 2019, Reuters published this article that states, New York City took the first step on Thursday towards repealing its ban on gay conversion therapy, aiming to avert a legal challenge that would put LGBT rights at risk nationwide, officials said. The legal challenge has come from a conservative Christian group, the Alliance Defending Freedom, that claims the therapy ban is censorship of free speech and unconstitutional. Several US states and cities have banned conversion therapy, which rests on the belief that being LGBT plus is a mental illness that can be cured either for minors or altogether. If successful, advocates fear the ADF case could give conservative courts an opportunity to set legal precedents that could have broad negative implications for LGBT rights. And this is where I get just just a hair angry because the ADF is just blatantly lying to people. They said right on their website, just as we saw it, that they don't support conversion therapy. They say they only believe in therapy in general, but the ban that they're trying to repeal isn't on regular therapy it's on conversion therapy. So that point from them is debunked. So let's go for another one, shall we? On the 6th of April, 2017, today the European Court of Human Rights ruled that requiring sterilization of individuals seeking a change in their legal gender recognition violates human rights. 22 countries in Europe currently still require sterilization to access gender identity recognition. However, this decision mandates that these countries amend their laws to reflect this positive ruling. While forced sterilization has been deemed a human rights violation, the EU court upheld that medical examinations and a mental health diagnosis were in line with the European Convention of Human Rights. In 2015, the Alliance Defending Freedom International, considered an anti-LGBT hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, submitted a written intervention to the court on this case, positioning that states should have the right to address issues as they pertain to transgender individuals based on national context and that the court should not consider the Yogi Carta principles, a set of international principles relating to sexual orientation and gender identity when considering the three cases. Stern commented on the intervention of ADF International and said, Alliance Defending Freedom makes a mockery of the word freedom when they put religious dogma over the rights of individuals to be legally recognized. These cases are about every trans person's right to self-determination and the freedom of every trans person to not be forcibly sterilized. This is without a doubt a fundamental right that must be upheld in every context. This is yet another point ADF makes that has been proven incorrect. So why would ADF argue with European countries that are amending their laws to not require sterilization unless ADF themselves support sterilization in a way? ADF acts like the Southern Poverty Law Center is on a smear campaign, but so far their claims are checking out one by one. Now, it's not to say that SPLC has never made inaccurate claims before because they absolutely have, but it's not just them calling the ADF a hate group. There's more. As for the ADF believing the LGBTQ community will weaken and destroy society or recriminalizing the LGBTQ community in general, there's quite a few sources on this one. For one, NBC News states, in the landmark Supreme Court case, Lawrence v. Texas, which struck down the remaining anti-sodomy laws in the US, ADF, then known as Alliance Defense Fund, submitted a friend of the court brief in support of keeping the laws on the books. There is no fundamental right deeply rooted in this nation's history and traditions to engage in same-sex sodomy, the brief concluded. ADF also contributed to friend of the court briefs against expanding gay rights in other landmark Supreme Court cases, including same-sex marriage cases, such as United States v. Windsor. 
Not to mention in 2003, Alan Sears, the then president of the ADF, he was president before Ferris, he published a book he co-wrote with an ADF colleague titled The Homosexual Agenda, Exposing the Principal Threat to Religious Freedom Today which obviously the ADF heavily advertised and offered in fundraising pitches. On page 27, the authors plainly compare Kirk and Madsen, authors of The Overhauling of Straight America and After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fears and Hatred of Gays, to Hitler. Yes, they literally compare these two activists to Hitler because they write that, Kirk and Madsen also added that they knew they would have to wage a war of propaganda, just as Hitler did so masterfully in Nazi Germany to get the American public on their side. As a result, the ADF authors add, the very future of our nation is at risk if the homosexual agenda continues to advance unchecked. And I mean, do I even have to tell you guys why this is messed up? Do we just, can we just acknowledge that this is just an insane statement and absolutely wrong on all levels? Everyone, regardless of race, sexual orientation, gender, religious beliefs, everyone should have equal rights. You know, a basic human thing. I know that I try to be unbiased, but it just really sucks when you see something like this and you see that this type of stuff has been around within the last even 10 years. It's so disappointing. I don't understand why ADF sees it as by giving the LGBTQ community more rights, they're going to have less. And by more rights, by the way, it's really just the same rights as a straight person. That's just not how rights work. You're not taking it away from someone to give it to someone else. We're just leveling the playing field so everyone can have the same thing. That's not a radical opinion. So what has the ADF been up to recently? Well, they've been into something called bathroom bills. According to NBC News, in November 2018, in a case filed last week, ADF is representing a professor who is suing officials at his small public university in Ohio after receiving a warning for violating its non-discrimination policy by not addressing a transgender student by her preferred gender terms. In what could be another high-profile case, ADF is urging the Supreme Court to consider a case out of Michigan in which a funeral home fired a transgender employee due to the owner's religious beliefs. The sixth U.S. Circuit of Appeals sided with the worker, ruling that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 protects transgender workers. The funeral home appealed. Mara Kiesling, executive director of the National Center for Transgender Equality, called ADF the most relentlessly extreme anti-trans law group. If there's an outrageous and ill-founded lawsuit happening against trans people, it's usually the ADF, Kiesling told NBC News. In addition to its work in the courts, ADF has also been linked to its so-called transgender bathroom bills that have been introduced in recent years in state legislatures across the US, aimed at restricting trans people's access to sex-segregated facilities. According to an in-depth NBC News report published in April 2017, many of these bathroom bills filed across multiple states resemble one another. And that's because they used language strongly similar to the model legislation called the Student Physical Privacy Act, which was drafted by ADF. This case and these series of cases don't really fall into a gray area for me. In my opinion, it's far more black and white and this is just plain discrimination and nothing more. These bathroom bills, if you've never heard of them, are incredibly anti-trans. I could go on and on about how messed up these bathroom bills are, but to summarize, these bills would force transgender students to use the bathroom of the opposite sex. For example, 
Gavin Grimm, 16, a transgender boy, was diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And as part of his treatment, his therapist recommended that he begin living in accordance with his gender identity in every possible respect, including using the appropriate restroom. Grimm was initially allowed to use the boys' restroom, but after several parents complained, the school held several meetings and debates and then issued a policy stating that the use of boys' and girls' restrooms and locker rooms shall be limited to the corresponding biological genders, and students with sincere gender identity issues shall be provided an alternative private facility. Grimm, who identifies as male, but has not yet had sex reassignment surgery, was designated female under the policy. As an alternative to the girls' restroom, the school provided a unisex or gender-neutral bathroom that Grimm and any other student could use. The ACLU American Civil Liberties Union sued the school on behalf of Grimm, arguing the policy violated Title IX of the Educational Amendments Act of 1972, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in any educational program that gets federal funding. They argued for Grimm's ability to use the boys' restroom as well as a preliminary injunction to allow him to use the bathroom while his case proceeded. And just pardon my language here, but fuck those parents, dude. Why is it any of their business whatsoever? It's the school's job to protect and support their students as well as obviously educate them. At bare minimum, these bathroom bills put that at risk. Even though this school provided a unisex or a gender neutral bathroom, some do not. And these bathroom bills can do real harm in those situations. According to a study by Georgia State's University, Christy L. Seelman, being denied bathroom access is correlated with an increased risk of suicide attempts among trans people. Transgender people have said bathroom access is one of their most pressing challenges, Seelman writes in the study, which was published in February in the Journal of Homosexuality. Trans people have reported getting stared at or being asked to leave, something that causes them great stress, according to researchers. Seelman highlights an earlier study of 93 trans people that found that 68% had been verbally harassed in bathrooms and 9% were physically assaulted. Now, if ADF isn't against transgender people, like they say, then why would they be pushing so hard for bills like this? Why are they promoting bills that do real harm? ADF wants to seem like it cares about religious freedom, but what purpose do these bathroom bills serve? They aren't giving anyone freedoms, they're only stripping them away. Oh, and just to debunk that little argument that a lot of people like to throw at me or anyone who really gets the whole, no, we should have separate bathroom shenanigans. A lot of people claim that it's to protect women, that a man could go and put a wig on and a dress and go into a women's restroom and assault women. I just wanna point out that that still is not a trans person doing that. That's still a straight man trying to assault women. So it's still not a trans person's fault. They just wanna use the fucking bathroom. If anything, it speaks a lot about someone who tries to use that argument because there's this weird inherent idea that men are always on the hunt to assault women. And that's just not reality. And if you're one of those people that that is something you're into, you should probably go seek help. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new today. I hope I shed a little bit more light and context on who the ADF is. So thank you so much for making it to another episode of The Corporate Casket, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.